And welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. As always, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment. Made to chill. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You could also use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Today we're going to have a mix of NFL news. We'll also get into the NFL draft as we'll be joined by hopefully a special guest to break down the Auburn prospects as they have a very intriguing class. But, Paul, let's start off the top with some NFL news, and we are inching closer to the start of the new league year, Mm -hmm. which will be March 18th. Today, the NFL came out and said that they're now going to push the franchise tag, transition tag deadline back to Monday. So teams are going to have a few more days to determine whether or not they want to tag their players, and they also have moved back the vote by the Players Association to determine whether or not they want to approve the CBA. So what they're doing is they're giving teams a little bit more wiggle room because as it stands right now, teams are operating under the old CBA, Paul. So you could give out two tags, but what could happen is the new CBA gets approved by the players, then all of a sudden you're going to have to rescind the tag that you already handed out. So I think they want to try to avoid that, and that's why they've pushed back some of these dates because this is the second time now that they've adjusted the date to hand out those tags. John and I had a conversation on the show the other day, and there seemed to be some, some confusion as to whether or not there will still be a transition tag and a franchise tag. As I understand it today, there will still be two tags available to teams, although, as you said, they may only be allowed to use one, as they have in the past. Uh, But at this point, it does appear as though the transition tag will still exist. That's good news for a bunch of teams, including potentially the Giants. For example, if you wanted to use the transition tag at about $12 million for one year on Leonard Williams, giving them the right to match somebody else's offer. And that's why I like the transition tag more so than the franchise tag, especially when you want a guy to go out and set the market. That's certainly an option for the Giants. Well, we'll get back into NFL free agency news and notes as we progress here throughout the course of the program. But right now, we're going to shift gears and turn our attention to the 2020 NFL draft. And the first school on the map to break down is Auburn because Auburn recently had its pro day. And to help us discuss all the prospects that will likely be hearing their names called in the NFL draft, none other than a familiar face for the New York Giants organization because he served as a Giants quarterback from 1994 to 1997, also played at Auburn. He now serves as the color analyst on the Auburn Radio Network, and that is none other than Stan White. Stan, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com. Appreciate the time today. How's everything? My pleasure, guys. You doing well? We're doing very well. Thanks for joining us, Stan. We need to start, obviously, right up top because so many people out at the Combine when I was in Indianapolis said that Derrick Brown really does deserve consideration as a top five overall pick in this draft. Now, we know the quarterbacks are going to move up very, very high, and it depends on how many get taken as to whether or not Brown does make it into the top five. But from your perspective, how dominant a player do you think he can be coming out of school? Uh, I, I saw him for the last couple of years, guys, and, and this guy is a special talent. And, and what I mean by that is, is he has what I would call the total package. He's about 325 pounds, uh, you know, six foot four, six five. And and the one thing that sometimes you'll find with bigger guys coming out of college is, is you know, they may take a play or two off here and there because of just their stamina and everything. But this is a guy that 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 put his defense on his back. Uh, he went hard every single play, and, and he can play that inside technique. He can play outside. Um, he would not be what I would call a speed rusher by any means. Uh, he's a power guy, but uh, this is a guy that's a run stopper. He can be a, uh, on a, a big line pass defense. Uh, I mean, this is a, and, and also the one thing that, that the intangibles that you can't see is, is he's got a lot of heart about him. So uh, this is a guy that's going to be a surefire top 10 pick, I would expect, and maybe – Maybe work his way in the top five if, if people trade up. So uh, I'm excited to see what Derrick Brown has. Stan, when you look at his numbers in college, everybody who evaluates defensive linemen, especially from a fan's perspective, they're always anxious to see, well, how many sacks did the kid get? And how likely will he be able to get to the quarterback at the next level? Derrick Brown's numbers don't necessarily jump off the page. What do you see him in terms of his effectiveness on the next level in potentially maybe improving his numbers and actually becoming a deadly pass rusher? 
Well, that's a great analysis. And, and the one thing that I would I'd say to that is, is he was double teamed quite a bit uh, this year. I mean, he, he was the first one that offensive line and offensive line coaches and, and offensive coordinators uh, wanted to see where they lined up. And so I think you saw a lot of double teams with him this year. And quite frankly, that's, that's what allowed Marlon Davidson, uh, another guy that, that I think is potentially a, a late first round, if not middle first round type guy to really flourish as well. So, you know, he is a guy that, that and Derek Brown that's going to give you that run stop filler. Uh, he can rush the passer. He can kind of what, what I looked at at Derek Brown. And if you go back and look at games like the Texas A&M game this year early on, he would he would not maybe be a speed guy. He would just crash a pocket down because he would have one and two guys on him. And even against LSU with Joe Burrow, he pushed the, the, the guard back into the quarterback and just almost got a safety out of that with really out even touching Joe Burrow. Uh, so this is a guy that can be a force on the interior, and, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm excited to watch him play. If there's one thing I'm curious about, Stan, is that at six foot five, pad level can be a concern sometimes for guys not being able to get that knee bend and getting the leverage down so that they can maximize use of their power. How much of an issue do you think that will be for him? Well, I think with any interior lineman uh, that could use brute strength and sometimes speed to get off the ball, maybe at a college level, that's something they'll always have to, to, to kind of reform or, or just kind of grow and evolve their technique uh, because you do have to get lower in, in the NFL. I mean, you, you got guys that are going against you that, that, you know, are 320, 330 themselves. And, and if you're an interior guard in the NFL, you're, you're not as tall as a tackle. So uh, you got guys that'll be in that 6'2", 6'3", range. And so um, that's something that all young linemen and, and, and Derek as well uh, will have to, you know, evolve their game into uh, because I expect him to be an interior guy early on uh, in the NFL, uh, and then he could come in on specialty situations uh, on pass downs. Stan, you brought up Marlon Davidson, who in all likelihood, based on your analysis, benefited from the presence of Derek Brown. If a team, though, were to bring in Marlon Davidson and let's say they wanted him to be Batman as opposed to Robin, where do you see his ceiling at the NFL level? Well, I tell you what, Marlon Davidson is a guy that I am really excited about. I think everyone knows Derek Brown's name. I mean, this is a guy that was on everyone's list. He was a finalist for the Lineman of the Year Award and so forth. But Marlon Davidson is a guy that started every game that he's been eligible for at Auburn as a true freshman on. And he has a high motor. I mean, this is a guy that has a big motor. He's a 305-pound guy, so he can play interior. Uh, but he can also – Unlike Derek, he can get outside at the seven, and he can rush now. And Derek, Derek was a rusher at times, but, but Marlon actually has some speed and some brute strength to rush. And you, if you see, if you turn the film on with him, then you'll see a guy that was going against left tackles a lot of times. And, and, and several times he won those battles. And, and I think back of the Florida game a couple of times when he was able to get to Trask and force a fumble. And so uh, this is a guy – that is very versatile because he can he can literally play standing up on the outside, but he also has the size uh, to play down inside. At 6'3", 303 pounds, which is what he's listed at, and, and Stan, that's what I heard at Indianapolis, is don't be surprised if on occasion you see him standing up off of the edge. And that blew my mind because I'm just thinking that's just not supposed to be possible with a guy of that size and frame. So it's it's is it's it athleticism? Is it his footwork? What is it that would allow him to play at that speed and that way in the league? Well, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Rodney Garner, their defensive line coach. He, he has done a great job with their hand technique, and, and he uses that leverage as that 303 pounds, like you said, to be able to kind of engage but keep a distance because he has longer arms. So, you know, okay. he's able to use that strength but also use those arms to keep a distance and, and get that push. We're talking with Stan White, who is the color commentator for the Auburn Radio Network, former Auburn quarterback, former Giants quarterback as well. I want to stay on the defensive side of the ball, Stan, and I'm going to go with a guy who is always a challenge to say his name, so I hope I don't butcher it. <laughs> it's uh, Noah Igbenogamy. <laughs> Uh, and this is an right. there we go right. I will pat myself on the back Stan I practiced over the last 24 hours in anticipation of this interview I want you to know and you know he's got an interesting story Stan because he started out as a wide receiver he's a track star from what I read also his family is very decorated as track stars so a very small sample size as a secondary player what type of progress have you seen out of him while he made the transition from wide receiver to corner? 
Well, he took a giant leap this past year. You know, when he when he transitioned over two years ago, uh, you could tell he was still learning that game, and he got picked on some. I mean, I think he would admit that uh, two years ago, his first year going from from a wide receiver to uh, to defensive back as a sophomore. And, and so, yeah, he had to learn that technique. Uh, but one thing you're going to get, and, and I saw this a lot more last year, first of all, his confidence level went skyrocketed uh, last year. And also, he's a physical guy. He's, he's just shy of 200 pounds. And this is a guy that can run. Like you said, he's a track guy. It's in his pedigree. His parents are both uh, Olympic, uh, former Olympics, uh, in, in the Olympics or so forth. He was a track guy at Auburn. Uh, and, and so that's the thing that he's got is that speed and that technique of running, but you're also getting a guy that's just shy of 200 pounds so he can get up and play in the face and, and be physical. And Kevin Steele's defense, he likes to play a lot of bump man. I mean, he loves to do that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's feast or famine, right? And so, you know, he, but he's the guy that they looked at as saying, look, you get in the face of that receiver, that big guy, and you just don't let him off the, off the line. And, and so he really took a giant leap this past year. I think the two questions for me, Stan, I'd like to know how is he doing run support since he is a physical type of, of corner. And then the other thing is, do you see him more as a fit for the slot or more as a fit for the boundary in the NFL? Well, that's a good question because usually you put a big guy into the boundary, but a lot of times now you have those tight ends. I mean, the tight end position in the NFL with the flex tight end, you, you got a big receiver because those guys can run. So he may be a good fit for that slot type tight end position because of his size now he's not six two or six three he's just shy of six foot but he's also pushing 200 so he can handle that physical uh pounding that you get with a bigger type receiver slash tight end run support he did a really good job i mean that's one thing that kevin Steele, you know he emphasizes with his defense you're not going to play uh at slot or at bump corner or boundary corner if you can't come up and run support well, speaking of the slot corner position, Javaris Davis does fit that profile, Stan. Smaller frame than the other corner we were just talking about. But how much is the size perhaps a concern, given it appears as if some opponents tried to take advantage of that matchup during his collegiate days? Yeah, good question. This is a guy, he, he really has a knack for being around the football. He's got a very good feel of the position. And like you said, he's not a bigger guy. He's not as big as a Noah Igbenogany. You know, he's a little bit like a Jonathan Jones from a few years back. You go with the, with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what he reminds me a little bit of. Uh, Jones is a fast guy. He can run. Javaris Davis is another guy that, that you talk, depending on who you talk to, even though he didn't run track in the spring, he's one of the fastest guys on the team. And so uh, this is a guy that just seemed to be always around the ball. And believe it or not, you know, I saw him, and I, I don't have his stats in front of me, but I saw him coming up in run support quite a bit as well. I mean, you, you, if you look at his stats, I mean, he had quite a bit of tackles in run support, even though, you know, he's in the 180, 185-pound range. Well, I think the, the number I saw in his speed, by the way, you talk about how fast he is. I saw 439 uh, was the documented number out of the combine. Now, is his play speed that fast, Stan, or, or is that just a, a, a underwear Olympic speed we're talking about? <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously, when you're running a straight-ahead 40, you're probably going to get a uh, – that, that, that number to me has always baffled me. Why, why, make a, why would you make an offensive lineman even run a 40? I mean, that's I'm the, with you, Stan. Yeah. I'm with you. The, the I mean, underwear Olympics are not very a, practical. Not, they're really not. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but yeah, Javaris is one of those. He's going he's gonna to catch on. I don't know where he'll go if it's a second-day type of guy. Uh, but – you know he is a he's got a good instinctive uh, play in the position. He's played it for a while. He played slot. He's played bump. Uh, he's played boundary. He's played wide side. So he 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 varies. He can play all of them. Stan, before we switch gears to the offensive side of the ball, you have Nick Coe, the linebacker, and then Daniel Thomas, the safety. Two other defensive players that are gearing up for the draft. What jumps out to you about either of those two, and what you see them perhaps doing at the next level? Well, on the first one, Nick Coe, if you, if you just physically look at him walk, walk into a room, you're going to think, wow, this guy is a freak. I mean, he is a big guy, long arms. He comes actually from a wrestling background uh, from North Carolina. He was a state wrestler, a champion in wrestling, and a lot of times that has a benefit for a defensive lineman because of the balance and, the, and the, being able to get leverage. Uh, and low leverage at that, being a wrestler. And he's a tall guy now. I mean, he's a 6'4", he's 6'5", a type of guy. Um, 
didn't have the year he wanted, obviously. Uh, he's one of those I think um, you're just going to have to work on with him with just being able to have that motor every single day. I mean, that's Rodney Garner and I played together at Auburn, and, and um, he expects you he, – and he, and he will rotate a lot now. He'll rotate nine or ten guys during a game. And so he, he wants you to go every single ounce that you've got every play. And I'm not saying he didn't do that, but he just found himself kind of back – into that rotation as opposed to a pure starter. But but I would tell you this about Nick Coe. He has a lot of versatility. They had him listed on the depth chart as a, as a seven, as a defensive end, as an outside linebacker, and an interior guy. So he's got the size and the speed to do it all. He's just got to put it all together. Now, Daniel Thomas is a guy, not the tallest guy out there, but this is a guy that's a really, really instinctive safety and he, he really um, – it didn't surprise me as much, but he ran a nice 40 time at the combine. I think he was in the 4-5 range-ish, uh, which is very good for a safety. And, uh, and he has an instinct for the ball as well. So I, somebody's going to get a steal when they get Daniel Thomas. He's a kid from Lee, um, Lee High School in Montgomery, Alabama, and, and he'll, he'll do a really good job for someone. Stan, I got one more for you, and I'm going to try this pronunciation. <laughs> Prince Tego Onogo. Uh, the left tackle, who to me is one of the more intriguing stories in terms of the weight gain he had, uh, his athleticism of playing other sports. Um, I, again, I'm intrigued by him. I don't know what to make of him. They're listing him at 6'5", 308 pounds. Tell me about where you see his potential in the NFL. I think his ceiling is high, and, and you were very close with that. I've heard Wanago a lot of times, but it's Wanago. <laughs> So uh, okay. you're very, very close on that. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, this is a guy that has not played football for, for a long time. I mean, this is, he came, he started playing, I think, his junior year, maybe of high school, maybe yeah. his seniors. Stan, you still there? Or did we lose him? We lost him. We lost Stan. I apologize for some of the technical try, difficulties. Try one more time, yeah, we'll Dan. see if we can get him back on the line so that he can uh, give his breakdown of the offensive linemen Especially for the tackle, Auburn Tigers. Who, quite yeah. honestly, sounds like he may be a third-day pick, but a prospect certainly to look at. Well, similar to the cornerback that we were talking about earlier, also somebody that hasn't played football for a very long time, mm -hmm. started late in high school, but has made a name for himself recently and also had been a starter for quite some time going back to his redshirt freshman season so that's also I think what's interesting about uh Winogo uh, as the offensive lineman and I believe that we have Stan back on the line Stan apologies for uh, losing you there but you were breaking down uh, Winogo in terms of what he'll bring to the table as an offensive lineman yeah, this is a guy um, like I was saying he, he will come into a room and you're like man this guy fits every mode of that and I, I don't know if he'll project into a left tackle in the league uh, especially early on he's got good footwork uh, but he just needs some really really good tutelage and Auburn's done a great job with him but he's still just about four or five years of playing football and so this is a guy who has a tremendous upside uh he's got a motor on him and and he, he's one that that'll you know I, I don't i don't think he'll be a, a first round type of guy maybe second but his someone will will get him because of his intangibles and the upside because you know, it's hard to find those guys that are that size uh that can consistently play so i think he can have a good career in the nfl he was tagged for a medical issue at the senior bowl stand do we have any idea if that's something that's going to linger and follow him at all you know, I don't think so. I think he had battled a knee uh, issue for a little while, uh, and he was a little bit hobbled by that. But, but I tell you, he played uh, throughout the year. I don't, I don't recall him missing much, uh, much at all this year, if, if he did at all. So, uh, yeah, this is a guy that he's learned how to play through it. And, and you know, this is a, like you said, this is a guy that, that he's not been playing at 10 or 11 or 12 years old. This is a guy that started playing in his teenage years, and so he's learning – the mental side of the game as much as anything and, and especially you know when you're getting paid by an NFL corporation to go out there then you've got to take care of your body and so he's just learning all that where we all a lot of us learned it you know as we grew up playing the game and he's just now learning it see to me that that just smells to me Stan of a guy who's going to be an NFL redshirt if I may use the term in his first year that you don't want to necessarily expect him to play regular snaps or even rotational snaps you're kind of thinking Oh, he's a developmental guy who maybe in year two can then compete for for significant reps. Does that sound right to you? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, and and I I would he's not going to be I don't think one of those first round type guys, second round maybe. 
uh, you know, I don't think he's that type of player, as in, like you said, he is a learning project. And, and But I tell you what he's got, you can't teach that size. I mean, you, you can mm-hmm. you can try to pump me up full of weights all you want, but I'm still <laughs> never going to be more than 6'3", six, six, 220 pounds. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, this is a guy, but, but this is a guy that, like you said, I think he's, he can be a long-term NFL guy. You, you can turn around and see him. Reminds me a little bit of a Chris Gray back when I played. Chris mm-hmm. Gray played for, I think, 15, 16 years. Sure. Played with uh, the Super Bowl with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And he started out at, t- at tight end at Auburn. He was my tight end. And he you know, he would admit to you, he couldn't catch a cold. But now <laughs> he goes down and plays, he goes tackle, and then he plays guard, and then he plays for 16, 15, 16, 17 years at guard at center for the Seahawks most of the time. And has a, he was a journeyman and, and did it. And they got, and went and played in the Super Bowl. So this is the type of guy that I could see uh, Prince Tega being. We're talking with Stan White, former Auburn quarterback, now the Auburn Radio Color Commentator. Stan, before we let you go, I actually want to go back to last year's class because one former Auburn player made quite a name for himself with the Giants this season, and I'm curious your perspective. Darius Slayton, I think, turned many heads. I don't know if many people thought he'd have that immediate of an impact. From afar, uh, what did you make of Darius Slayton's rookie year, and did you think that he would put his stamp on this team so early in his NFL career? Well, I saw a lot of the potential. And first of all, I was upset that he came out early. I wanted him to come back to Auburn for another year. So, but no, uh, this is a guy that I watched. Now, he always had that speed. He had that breakaway speed. And at times at Auburn, it was, the, it was just the communication factor, whether it be a new quarterback or whatever, where they just weren't on the same page at times. And like, he battled a couple of drops here and there. I mean, he would admit that. There's no question about that. But when he, when he got that confidence, especially late – in, the, in his last year at Auburn, you could see that this guy had a next level to him because he was catching balls at five yards, making one tackle, and going 40. We saw that in the, uh, in the bowl game when, when Auburn beat Purdue pretty well. And so that game, I was like, wow, this, this kid, when he's got that confidence going, he's going to be special. And sure enough, he decided to come out not long after that. And so, no, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy for him, proud of him. He's an Auburn guy. And and we need more Auburn guys up in New York, man. I tell you, I, I, I enjoy watching, watching my Giants, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to the future, seeing what Daniel Thomas does, and, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun up there. Or Daniel Jones. I'm Daniel sorry. Jones, yes. Well, speaking yes. of quarterback, Stan, my final question before you go, and you can plead the fifth if you'd like. I will, I'm going to give you that opportunity to bail out on this, but Joe Burrow and, and Tua are getting all the headlines – Everybody says they're guaranteed to be top five. Burrow's guaranteed to be one. Two people are going to trade up to get him despite his injury history. And Burrow, look, I get it. He had a phenomenal season, but it was only one year. Can you give me your thumbnail take on these two quarterbacks and all the hype that they have received? How deserved is it? Well, man, that's a great question. And, and um, I think both of them have tremendous upside, and then both of them have had some hiccups in their career. Well, we all know what Tua's has been, right? Tua's yeah. has been the injury thing. And, I, and people mistaken, when people say someone's injury prone, that doesn't mean that they're not tough. That means that sometimes they just unfortunately have had some injuries that keep reoccurring, like whether it be an ankle or a hip or whatever. But Tua's got all kind of special talent. I mean, this guy has quick release. He reads the field well. The only knock on him is what we just discussed. Is is, is is the health issue going to be there five, six, seven, eight, ten years down the road? Now, Burrow, on the other hand, had maybe the best season in college football history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody could argue with that. But look at the numbers. Yeah. Last year, it was a pretty good year. I mean, let's just admit it. It was just a pretty good year last year. Mm-hmm. Now, two years ago, I'm sorry, with Burrow. Right. Right, two years ago. So I mean, it wasn't. He didn't jump off the charts two years ago. It was just, oh, he's okay. But then this past year, he took a step. You can give Joe Brady credit. Uh, you can give Steve Insminger credit. Both of them working together. You can give whomever credit. But Joe Burrow had to sit in there and throw the ball, and he had to read it as well. So, um, so yeah, I think both of them are very deserving of, of top ten uh, pick in the NFL. I think both t- whoever gets them is going to get two good quarterbacks. Um, at maybe two really, really good quarterbacks, maybe two Hall of Famers. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's, it, Joe Burrow has had one phenomenal season. Um, does that make him a Hall of Famer? No. Tua Tagovailoa has had a couple of good seasons, but never – I don't know if he's ever finished or started and finished a season completely right. healthy. 
so that's you know that's the that's the if on him. Uh, but are they two great quarterbacks? Absolutely, I think they're two great quarterbacks. I think they're I think they're going to be deserving to be a top five, top six pick. Uh, but it's still an unknown if they're going to have a long term type of uh, really phenomenal NFL career. That's why I know I dodged. I know I dodged your answer. But, uh, <laughs> no, hey, no. Stan, you you gave me an opinion, and and I appreciate it because I I really think it is intriguing. We all know how quarterbacks always get boosted up in some cases much higher than they're supposed to be, and you know that as well. Sure. Well, I mean, you, you look at history. I mean, Ryan Leaf. I mean, he was a can't miss, right? Tim Couch. I mean, yeah. and, and see, <laughs> you know, Tim Couch. I mean, you can go down the list. There's a lot. Here's the deal. There's a lot more that have been misses than non-misses. You know, Peyton Manning, yeah, I mean, this is a guy, Hall of Famer, first ballot, and so forth. But there's a lot more that were – and Ryan Leaf went above him, by the way. We know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and so you, there was a lot more misses than the can't miss. Uh, and that's just the history of the game, whether it be through injury, whether it be through uh, not right system, whether it be through, you know, the growth, the mental. I mean, a lot of times it's who you get on with. I mean, Dan Reeves was my coach in New York, and – and, and I was appreciative and thankful for the Mara family for taking a shot on me because, you know, although I was, I was, I guess, in the SEC realm, I just quarterbacked an undefeated team. But nationally, you know, I wasn't a top five pick or a top first round or second round. And they took a shot on me, and it was fortunate enough to go four years and had a great time there with the Mara family. And, and so that just happened. And there's, there are guys that are second and third round picks that play one year and they're done. Sure. So uh, yeah. that just happens. Well, as you just laid it out, it further proves the draft is an inexact science and environment is important to help shape the total package of what a quarterback is going to bring to the National Football League. And time will tell with this year's group of prospects. He is Stan White, former Giants Auburn quarterback, now the radio color commentator for the Auburn Radio Network. Stan, great talking to you as always. Really appreciate the time and insight and look forward to talking to you down the road again. Thank you, Stan. My pleasure, guys. Go Giants. All right, you got it. Stan White joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live to give an overview of the Auburn prospects, and we will certainly cover plenty of other schools as we build up and lead in to the upcoming draft. Right now, let's open up the phone lines, but before we do that, a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, Made to Chill, and we start off the festivities with Stas, who is in Washington. Stas, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How are you today? We're doing very well. What's Hello. on your mind? So, just two things, uh, draft and um, and free agency-wise. Uh, one is for the draft. Let's start there. I love Isaiah Simmons. Yes, he looks amazing in the draft. Um, he's, you know, everyone's pushing him to the Giants right now on the, the draft, uh, the, 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 the pre-draft, mock draft that they're doing. Um but I really, in my heart of hearts, hope that we get uh, a left tackle, even if we trade back and get a left tackle, because I just, I just keep seeing all the teams that have really good defenses, but their offenses keep going three and out, and then those te- those defenses end up getting gassed out and they lose anyway. And I just, I just want to be able to see the Giants have a four-minute drive. I don't think I've been able to see the Giants consistently put together a four-minute offense at the end of a game since I don't know, maybe 2008 was the last year that I really can remember saying seeing the Giants saying, okay, we have a lead, we're going to run a four-minute offense, and we're just going to shut this thing out. It's always been, oh, we got to put our defense back on there, and then the way our defense has been playing lately, it, chances are it's, it, it's a loss. So while I get it, considering that we have a new rookie quarterback, uh, well, he wouldn't be a rookie anymore, but a young quarterback, I want to see my young quarterback with time, and I want to be able to use this stud of a, of a stallion horse we have in Saquon Barkley more consistently. This is me personally. Second thing is just something that I just, can't wrap my head around and I don't hear it talked about I I never hear it talked about but it it just always frustrates me but we are murdering RGM well not we but the media for the most part is murdering RGM because he gave a third round pick for pretty much a rental on a defensive tackle on a defensive tackle who was a who was a first round pick who never really lived up to the hype of what they thought he was going to be in Leonard Williams right okay and the media is murdering him. Meanwhile, in Seattle, they traded away two players and a third-round pick for the exact same thing. Because don't no one can they didn't clown it. Yes, he's a better player than Williams. So don't sit here and tell me he's lived up to the hype of what he was supposed to be. You he mean the often injured clowny? Yeah, he's talking about clowny. Yeah, yeah the yeah, often injured clowny 
Yeah. The, the often injured, the often injured yeah. county, one sixteen game season, only yeah. one seat, best sack total was nine and a half, in, in, ever in his career, and he played on a defense that, let's just be honest, has been a more consistent and a better defense than what uh, uh, Leonard Williams has been playing on, and. Well, no one even brings it up. Oh, no one even, well, it's like, oh, they're going to lose the I know. But, but every I time know. it comes to Gettleman, it's like they beat this man up. And when I look at it, and I really look at what our team is now, if I had to go back in time, just let's say five years ago, we never had depth. We were always picking these skill position guys who weren't panning out, these project guys, the JPP of tight end guys, and they never pan out. I think we may have lost. I us. think we did. Appreciate and, the and, phone you know, call. Along the same lines, the the Cowboys paid a great deal for Amari Cooper. Oh, they gave up a first round pick. And if he goes away via unrestricted free agency, how do you think the Dallas media and the Dallas fans are going to react to that? Well, this goes back to conversations we've had on previous shows. There's always risk involved when you acquire Absolutely. a player who has an expiring contract or maybe has a year and a half left. There's always risk because you always. don't know if you're going to work out a new deal. So you're giving up assets based on the potential of the player and also that things work out. So I think there's risk involved with Clowney just as much as there's risk involved with Leonard Williams. Now, Clowney's proven to be more of a sack guy over the course of his career, in fairness, than Leonard Williams. And I think... But Williams has proven to be more durable. Yeah. Well, it goes both ways in terms of you build Can't a column... Can't anybody if you're not playing both. the game. Yeah, there's pros and cons to both players. But I, I think when the last caller brought up the fact, well, you know, there's no criticism with respect to the Clowney deal, in fairness... I'm not watching what's going on in the Seattle market on a daily basis. Right. But I would guarantee you that there's articles being written about what's going to happen with Clowney, <laughs> just like there's articles written here I'm sure. in the New York market. So, you know, it may not be a national story, but if you did examine the coverage in Seattle, Clowney is a big talking point because that is a significant trade they made and a significant question mark as to whether or not they're going to be able to retain his services. And quite honestly, if they do retain him, it's probably, according to most analysts at Indianapolis, going to cost at least $20 million a year. Which, well, by the way, is an incredibly hefty price tag for a guy who hasn't been able to stay on the field. But remember, it goes back to market, just like I bring up, Paul, quarterbacks, right? It's paid based on the timing of when you become available. No it's not question. necessarily are you the best player. And here's another thing that helps Clowney's cause. If Shaq Barrett gets tagged, okay, if Chris Jones gets tagged for the mm -hmm. Chiefs, all of these top-level defensive linemen... And even though Jones is a defensive tackle, he still gets a lot of sacks for his position. Then Clowney becomes that carrot dangling out there, Paul. Right. And that's the reason why somebody is going to be willing to pay a little bit more. We spoke on yesterday's show, I did with Jeff Eagles, how I truly believe Marcus Golden, who I like a lot, I like a lot. Let me make that clear three times. I like a lot. He's probably going to wind up getting Batman money. Yeah. Because... Think about how many guys who had at least 10 sacks last year are going to be available on the unrestricted free agent market. He's going to be one of them in all likelihood. And oh, by the way, of those guys with 10 or more sacks, he led the way with 70 tackles last year because he's got a motor and he does play the run. He's not half of a player. Somebody out there is probably going to open up a Brinks truck for him. Yeah. It's, that's what happens when the top guys who maybe you anticipated hitting the market don't. And I don't think a lot of these guys are going to hit the market because they're ultimately going to be tagged. Let's head back to the lines. Bruno is in Atlanta. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Bruno? Not much, boys. Good talking to you again. Hi. I uh, just wanted to touch on, you know, we always hear best player available and all that. There's And obviously this is mock draft season where people – a lot of it is clickbait. I saw one mock where they had Henry Ruggs uh, going to the Giants with the fourth pick. I think even if he's the best, I don't. He's not even the best player. I don't think at the receiver position. But this whole clickbait business. But you know that Indeed. leads to my question about best player available. You know, if if the best player available is a Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, I, I do think that may be a mistake, just because. We've tried, you know, where Eli, you know, let's get him the, the best weapons, uh, an Odell Beckham, and, and just focus on weapons. But if we don't have an offensive line that can give our guy time, it's not going to go anywhere. And you look at you look at the Patriots, and, I, you know, I, I hate to always reference the Patriots, but they've established greatness over a period of time. 
And granted, Brady is a great, you know, probably the greatest quarterback ever. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say that, but you know, he's he's he's, he's proven it. I know. But he he hasn't had the he hasn't had the best receiving weapons. You know, Eli for a long time didn't have the best receiving weapons when he won the Super Bowl. I mean, Steve Smith he put him in the Pro Bowl. Yeah. You know, Kevin Boss got good production out of him. So you know, and, and the other the other point is. If we have a good defense that could get a three and out and get our offense the ball back, that that speaks volumes to what the team can do. Well, I so, think I, mean, I think with think respect, if, if we're, well, mm-hmm. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Bruno, but with respect to Brady, I think you know this season in particular, it hurt the fact that he didn't have a lot of consistent weapons around him. I think we saw that for right. the first time in quite some time because you had two young wide receivers well, who were drafted. Retirement really. Yeah, the, him a lot. well, the tight end position, too, was a huge void. They didn't really find the true replacement for Gronk. But even the wide receiver position, Paul, you know, it wasn't because of the lack of effort. You know, they acquire Mohamed Sanu, but oh, he's yeah. banged up, and you know he's got to learn a new mm-hmm. offense. Then Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry. Harry missed the majority of the season. He was a first-round pick. Myers is a young, up-and-coming guy. You know, Brady was thrown out there with youth, inexperience, and some guys that were veterans who didn't know the system. And when you do that to even one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played, it just goes to show you it's difficult to overcome those circumstances. They were so desperate, they were going to call Irving Fryer out of retirement. I'm sure they would have even considered guys (laughs) further back in the day who you could have pulled out of your hat. Yeah. And the Antonio Brown experiment, we saw how that ended. Exactly. Well, in fairness, Brown actually was productive. It was just the -the off-the-field issues that caused him. Right. Yeah, yeah. But so I mean, yeah. My my thought is, you know, if if it's best player available, you know, I think there's there's still we got to balance need and there somehow. And I mean, again, you know, getting in, let's say an Isaiah Simmons, if if he could be versatile and we use him, his versatility, because if a guy's versatile and we don't take advantage of it, it's pointless. I, I think Patrick Graham and Joe Judge are going to be able to take advantage of that versatility and improving our defense will get Daniel Jones. And if we believe in Daniel Jones, that he's our guy. Then we got to believe that he could get the best out of out of the receivers that we give him, you know, that he could get the best out of a Caden Smith, out of a Darius Slayton, out of a Sterling Shepard if he stays healthy. You know, God forbid the concussion bug. Well, Jones and Slayton already seem to have something going really well during the second oh, sure. half of last season. I mean, I think it's fair to say that that those two guys clearly are on the same page and made each other better as the games went on. And we'll let yeah. you go on that note, Bruno. Thanks so much Thank for the phone call. You got it. Sources say, by the way, that there will not be a baseball prospect drafted as the first number one pick in this year's draft. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got <laughs> clarification on that side of things. You're going to tell me Joe Burrow doesn't have the same type of background as Kyler Murray? I'm, you know, the Oakland A's are not interested in Joe Burrow? Is that what you're insinuating? Say, sources okay. say. These newspaper Twitter accounts, sources say. Well, there was a great cloud over that. So now, <laughs> at least we got some clarity on that front. Getting back to... The point from the last caller with respect to the weaponry around Daniel Jones, and I'm sure you talked about this on yesterday's show, but I just wanted to weigh in. Red Ellison announcing he's retiring. So, you know, that now creates another void in the tight end room, but he brought up Caden Smith, and Caden Smith to me is a player to watch out. I know you put out on Twitter and you were high on C.J. Conrad, who was on the practice squad for this entire season. And I agree, he's another guy that probably will get an opportunity. But well, Caden he Smith, was and then was off and then and was, was off, but then came back. Yeah. But Caden Smith was somebody that actually did get playing time. Like him a lot. I liked him a lot too. I think he more than flashed in the second half of the season. And he more than proved, Paul, that he could be a two-way player. Not Agreed. just the receiving tight end. He actually was asked to block, and I thought he did very well under the circumstances. This, to me, is now a great opportunity for somebody like him to come through a full training camp, new staff. He's going to be entering the second year in his league. Still a lot of upside. That, to me, is a player to watch. Well, I would anticipate, and I'm not going to speak you know, out of a hat here, but I would anticipate because Evan Ingram's coming off a of foot surgery, he will probably be brought along very slowly. Which makes sense. During the summer and maybe even into training camp. He may be limited. And I wouldn't have a problem with that because you want to get as many snaps during the regular season out of him as you can. Which means during camp and during the preseason, you would expect Smith and Conrad amongst whoever else is in training camp to get a ton of tight end receiving reps and blocking reps to not only show their skills, but to enhance whatever it is they bring to the table. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. 
Brendan is in the Hamptons. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Brendan? Hey, guys. How are you? We're doing all right. Brendan, before we get started here, okay, one show we had you on, I let you get away with it. The second show, you did it again. You're Carlos in Astoria. Can we just lay the skeletons out of the closet here? I don't know why you're using a new name and a new city. I don't get it, but enough is enough it's already. Okay. Hey, you can call yourself Liberace for well, all but I, I mean, if, Just if, make it a good call. If, we know, you, if we know you as somebody else, just, make it a just good use call. your real name. Just That's make it a good saying. call, I mean, okay? Is, just know. make it a good call. Try to bring some intelligence to yeah. the table. That's all. <laughs> You know what, Paul, coming from you, that's hysterical. Goodbye, guys. All right, Brendan. Fair enough. Yeah, You know, I mean, I brought it up because it's a voice that we're familiar with, and I don't understand why we're hiding behind anonymous I, names and I, I faces. Don't, I don't just care what topic no he wants to talk about, yeah. what he wants to call himself, or what town he wants to go by, but just bring some intelligence, man. You know, that's all. Just just have some intelligence. Go read a football 101 before you call next time. Well, I just don't think we need to try that hard to pull a fast one on us. I mean, we've got an entire team okay. that does voice analysis. So, you know, eventually <laughs> we're going to know. And I, I knew it the first time. I was just curious where he was taking it. And it got to the point, all right, one time, twice, third time's not going to be a charm on my watch. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Jason in New Haven. We hope this is actually Jason in New Haven. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. <laughs> Yeah, it's me, fellas. Hello. Good to hear you. How we doing, Jason? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, if I could just uh, talk a little bit about, and like I said, nothing is guaranteed, not that we find anybody right now, but if I could kind of go back to the clowny thing, um, <clears throat> I only, I only want to say that uh, I know that, like I said before in previous calls, I know the cap situation is always tricky. You always got to think, you know, three years down the line, four years down the line, five years down the line, but... Let's just say, for instance, whether it's Clown or anybody else, say we sign, say we were to sign him for $100 million over five years. Let's just throw that number out. I don't think that's bad considering that the cap space will make a massive jump next year with the new CBA if it's, if it's signed by all the players. Um, I think most people think that just because you sign a player to that money um, that he has to perform near it. But it's like you said before, I think it's just a basic of core inflation. Basic, I mean, it's core of basic inflation. Um, so when you think about it, we got Daniel Jones under a rookie contract and Saquon under a rookie contract. Um, during this time, we're probably saving between 25 to $35 million that you'd have to spend just alone on a quarterback. Um, we have that additional space. I think, it's, I think it's important that we use it. I know we don't want to get back in cap hell, but... I do think we need some impact players on our defense, especially on our defense. I agree with you. Like said, yeah, like we've said, like I've said in previous calls, I don't think we have that player right now where offensive coordinators really have to scheme for or say, hey, we need a chip block at this guy or we need to have a tight end and a tackle take care of this guy or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Right. Um, and I think um, we could always reserve some cap space to push down the line for that purpose because I know, you know, Saquon is probably going to, break the bank with running backs uh if if uh daniel jones is continuing his plateau which i think he is the guy god knows what his contract will be in a few years if if he continues to improve um i do have concerns about Clowney's health Mm -hmm. but i do think he is an impact player has he given us have in the league has he given 20 sacks no is he a khalil mack or aaron donald kind of guy no but he is that guy that people will have to scheme for and we just got out of capital, but I do think we need a we really need to put some resources in getting a defensive player that's really gonna command attention and like I always bring up is gonna be a multiplier to our defense. So when I hear fans say, Oh, we don't wanna sign this because the money's gonna be too big, we gotta remember the cap is gonna jump. So two years down the line, is this contract really gonna hinder us from signing uh, uh Jones or extending Barkley or whoever else we want to extend at that time, I don't think it will. And I just wanted to get your opinion on that, and you know what you guys think about what I said All as right. far as the cap and uh, extending extending a few a few players down the line. Well, we'll let you go on that note, Jason, and uh, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for waiting. I think based on the amount of younger veterans the Giants have on their team, and also the young turnover they've had over the last two years. And you consider where Barkley is in his career now entering his third season and Jones entering his second season as a starter, not just a second season in the NFL. 
to me, I think if you're Dave Gettleman, you're thinking you want to do something really good with this team in the next two years. I mean, if you project further beyond that, I think you're going too far ahead. So my time frame in terms of how I would want to make my short-term and long-term decisions, I would try to melt what I want to do right now with what I'm doing in the long term through 2022. I don't think I would really think about too much beyond that other than potentially Barkley or Jones because you want those guys to sign second contracts and be decade-long starters on your team. But other than that, I think the makeup of this team, the Giants did a, did a, a, a uh, reorganization of this roster and a shuffling of this roster. They've already gone through two phases. They got rid of all the uh, the toxin. They built a better locker room in terms of character, started to build some talent. Now phase three is to continue to build some talent. And I would say that in my mind, the sweet spot for this team begins now through 2021 and into 2022. I think that's the sweet spot. If I'm Dave Gettleman, I don't know how you see it. Well, I don't know if there's an overwhelming urgency in terms of hammering out extensions with Barkley or Jones at this point. So no, I'm no, not, not today. Yeah, I'm not overly not concerned about that. But in when you terms worry about when you worry about the cap as a whole and the kinds of players you have and what kind of money you're devoting to players. I think in the back of your mind, you do think that those are the two guys you expect to be here for a decade. 100%. But I think that right now, if you're Dave Gettleman, I think he's more thinking of, can we bring in an impactful player now to help the team and not necessarily, well, what is that going to mean if we wanted to hammer out an extension with Daniel Jones three years down the road or Barkley two years? I, I don't know if no, that's no, an overwhelming I, thought. I agree. So I would agree with you in, in terms of, yeah, you may be thinking about that, but I don't know if that's going to be the hesitancy in not pulling the trigger on a contract this season because of what may happen down the road. Now, as far as Clowney, I agree with the last caller's assessment, Paul, that this defense does need a game changer, a playmaker, somebody that draws the attention of an opposing offensive coordinator. But with Clowney, as we discussed earlier, it's a little bit more complex than just Clowney on the surface as a game changer. You've got to ask yourself from a durability standpoint, can he hold up? And the value on a contract, the return. Because you look at his numbers this year with Seattle. Now, granted, he was learning a new defense. You know, Clowney had three sacks. Previously, he had nine. And then he had nine and a half before that. Was it the system? Was it the fact that he wasn't surrounded by J.J. Watt in Seattle? That perhaps put him in a position where he got more double teams? And if you were to bring a guy in like that, does he then command double teams? Do you have more weaponry opposite him that could take advantage? For example, if you had Clowney and Golden... I think that's a nice duo, Paul, because I, I think that Golden would capitalize from the attention Clowney brings. If Golden leaves in free agency, and let's say you were to bring in Clowney, but now you're expecting Zimenez or Carter to be Robin, I think the jury is still out, in fairness, Agreed. on whether or not those two guys can assume the role of Robin. See, the problem is, though, Clowney is going to command Batman money, yep. which in, in my mind, Batman money is a minimum 15-16 sack guy, if not higher, regardless of the circumstances. Now, that may or may not be fair, but when you command Batman money, those are the kinds of stats you're expected to put up. Of course. No, I'm completely with you. But I think the Giants right now, when they look at their defense, they would say they need Batman. And you got to pay for Batman, to your point. You do. The question is, can Clowney give you the production of Batman if you bring him into your system? I think that's what you need to ask. Because while Clowney, I think, has been an impressive player, I think there's also been some flashes here or there, and obviously the injury concerns. Here's the interesting twist to all of this. And I grant you, it may not be the best way to go about it. But Joe Judge, coming from the Bill Belichick philosophies in New England, Belichick has had terrific defenses that did not get to the quarterback very much. They yeah. got pressures, they got some hits, but in terms of actually piling up big sack numbers, the Patriots have been contenders for years when they were in the bottom third, if not even lower, on the sack chart. Well, I think part of that has been really strong secondaries, Paul. Which I think the Giants have attempted to put together with their youth. 
with the cover guys that they're hoping do develop to that point. So I think that helped New England. And, you know, the other thing that I think helped New England is they found Batman through the draft because I would argue Chandler Jones was their Batman when they had him. And then Chandler Jones ultimately was traded to Arizona. But Mm -hmm. Jones was a guy that you had to account for him. I remember when he came here and he played the Giants. Jones was an extremely well, disruptive player. They, but They had Richard Seymour for a while, yeah, too. Yeah, okay, well, then you're going a little bit further for back. A while. No. But, but recently, they have not had a dominant 15-sack guy. No, no disagreement with you. Yeah. So maybe Joe Judge is thinking along those lines when he sits down with Dave Gettleman and says, look, I know Patrick Graham is going to use a lot of Belichick's principles. I think we can scheme this. And I think we can do enough to stop the run and enough with our cover guys that maybe we only need 33 sacks in a season to still have a terrific defense. Maybe we don't need to pay a Batman. Well, and that, again, is a conversation that Patrick Graham has to have with Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge to determine, okay, this is the personnel grouping. This is how I want to utilize them. I still think, even if you have a good heart-to-heart conversation, Paul, that success is banking on that the secondary takes an extreme big leap forward. And this is a young nucleus of players without that one proven commodity because Janoris Jenkins is not there anymore. So I agree with you. It can be done. You can scheme around it without Batman. But once again, you have to rely on your young nucleus taking that next step forward. And that, to me, is still a looming question mark. Now, earlier this morning, at the top of the show, you mentioned the fact that the franchise transition tag deadline was moved to Monday. I don't remember if you read the second part to this out to the audience there because it is a significant part to this thing. Uh, Monday at noon, the legalized tampering will begin. Okay, at 11.59 a.m. Monday morning, is the deadline for the franchise and transition tags. And literally, it's hysterical how they list this. One second later, (laughs) 11.59 and 59 is the deadline. One second later, Monday at noon Eastern time, is the negotiating window, also known as legalized tampering, for your unrestricted free agents. And then Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time, The league year and free agency will begin, and you can now actually have agreements with these guys, or should I say signatures and and deals done. But the legalized tampering opening noon on Monday, and that's a second part to this thing, which is a big deal. Well, you know what's also interesting by you bringing that up, because I was reading some commentary online, and I think that clarifies it, where people were insinuating, well, the unusual timeline now will allow you to negotiate with players during the tampering period, the legal tampering period, and at the same time, if things fall through, then use the tag. But what that timeline makes clear is you first have to determine the tag, then you get to talk to people. The reason I brought that up, there was some speculation, Paul, that case in point, Tennessee, okay, there's just a hypothetical. Let's say Tennessee brings in Tom Brady. They have a conversation. Things don't go well. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have confidence. Now, they could decide to tag Ryan Tannehill. Based on that timeline, they cannot do that. No. They first have to determine whether or not to tag Tannehill, and then they're going to be able to talk to Brady. So, that is now crystal clear compared to what a lot of people were speculating. This, by the way, coming from uh, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, who has tweeted out the specifics of the new calendar for the National Football League. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jamie is in Jersey City. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jamie? Hey, guys. Uh, Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks sure. for making it. What do you got for us? So, uh, I have two questions, kind of one leads into the other one. First of all, you know, not not based on your opinions, what do you guys think the Giants are actually going to do with Leonard Williams? Is it going to be a, a tag or, or a deal? Because I think that that's what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Um, and then I just have a follow-up question based on that uh, regarding the draft. I don't know necessarily know what the contract terms are going to be, but I fully expect Leonard Williams to be playing for the Giants week one of the 2020 season. Okay, so either either through the tag or or you're saying only will happen if there's a is a long-term deal. Well, I'm saying it could be through the tag. It could be for a short-term deal. It could be for a long-term deal. I'm simply saying I expect him to play opening day for the Giants, I, and I've never thought otherwise. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. So I just, you know, I just kind of wanted to see in the money situation what that would mean regarding, uh, you know, free agency, which is my question. 
So, you know, I think the free agency kind of, dip, you know, it's the main key to how we move in the draft. Of so course. my my question will be if you guys had four free agents that you can pursue, and this could be, you know, splashing on two and, and going mid-range on another one, splashing on one and going, you know, lower level on three, on any positions, you know. And I kind of take it as what you're ranking in, in, in this four free agents that we will pay uh, some sort of money for uh, what is our most need. And then, you know, I can kind of look into what, what would happen in the draft. Uh, but if you know, if you guys could give me four positions, well, here, here's four, what I'll tell you. You know, it's obvious. Yeah, it's obvious the Giants need, and and Lance's. I want you to chime in here. Yep. They clearly need some help at the tackle spot. We know that. We also know they need help in the defensive front seven, right? We agree with that. Yes. We agree they could use some reinforcement at the uh, slot corner spot, correct? Yes. And we would also agree to a lesser, lesser, uh, perhaps, wide receiver depth. And maybe even somebody behind Saquon Barkley. We don't know what the coaching staff thinks about Wayne Gallman. We don't know. That's fair. Okay. Uh, would those be the yeah, spots? That I think you all those like? are fair. And by you saying front seven, you're including the linebacking core, obviously. Front so seven. that's why I don't need to add that position. Okay. So we, we agree basically on what the Giants need to fortify. So now you look at the free agent lists and you say, okay, who fits the bill at those spots? And who's going to be high-ranking guys who will command outlandish numbers, like a clown who's going to command an outlandish number? I don't see the Giants going for more than one big-ticket free agent, yeah, to I'm be with perfectly you. frank with you. Well, because then we're starting to duplicate 2016 all over again, and you which don't I don't see do that. that happening. They don't want to make that mistake yeah. again, because you pay now, and then later on you wind up having to deal with that credit card bill, and it's not fun. So I would think for me, for me, and I'm not speaking for the organization, I'm speaking for me, I've always been a big Jack Conklin fan. So if I was going to make one big ticket signing, I would probably go in a situation where the Giants certainly could use help at that spot. I would want to seriously talk to Jack Conklin. Well, Conklin is a veteran tackle, so he absolutely would make sense. And then you would strengthen the right side of the offensive line, especially with Mike Remmers due to be a free agent. So I think that makes sense from a dollar standpoint. You know, I would say if I were to spend my money, and this is just my personal opinion, I'd want to invest in a legitimate pass rusher. The problem is, though, the more and more you look at who's going to be tagged, then I just don't know if that's the right move. Because if the elite pass rushers are going to stay with their respective teams, Paul, then you're probably better off maybe trying to get that complimentary guy and then going towards the draft to address that position. And, you know, Barrett's not going to be available and Gakwe may not be available. Then Clowney, we don't know what's going to happen. I like Eric Armstead. I think Eric Armstead had a really nice season with the Niners. I think he could play inside and outside. Be very interested to see what the market is for a guy like Armstead. And then the other part of this equation, Paul, is what happens with Leonard Williams. Because if you spend money to retain the services of Leonard Williams, then... Do you want to use even more money to bring in another defensive lineman? I think that changes the equation, too. Well, let's give the caller two scenarios, okay? I'm telling you I'm going to retain Leonard Williams. I'm going to uh, talk to Jack Conklin, see if I can make that happen, and then I'm going to draft Isaiah Simmons at number four. And that would be my primo plan. What would be your primo plan? No, I think that makes 100% sense, and I think that's a realistic plan, too meaning I don't think that's like wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. Once again, my first gut would be to go after the pass rusher. And if Clowney's out there, I would certainly heavy, heavily consider having a serious conversation with him. And I wouldn't think that that's a bad move. If Clowney would be the big free agent splash, then I could see them potentially taking an offensive lineman with the fourth overall pick mm -hmm. or Simmons. I think either direction would make sense. And then maybe the other free agent addition because you laid out multiple ones, would be to perhaps bring in a veteran corner, maybe go after like a Byron Jones, for example. Okay, that would be a name, corner slash safety. High price for him. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there if you wanted to go in that direction. I don't really think there's a linebacker on the free agent market that is going to demand big money, but Joe Schobert makes sense to certainly entertain the idea of bringing him in. Uh, Corey Littleton, I think, is probably going to be the number one guy for most teams, but Schobert maybe two. So if you could bring in him, let's say, and Clowney, 
That, to me, makes sense. That would be an interesting combination. And then maybe you go Simmons or an offensive lineman at four. Okay. So that would be another scenario. I hope that helps. Yeah. (laughs) Well, once again, I, I think right now... We're trying to answer this question without fully knowing who's going to be taken off the market with the yeah. tag. So yeah. it's a little bit difficult it is. to have this conversation. We're trying to navigate that. We're going to have more clarity once Monday rolls around because then you can just cross names off the list. And now you know, okay, hey, this is a guy that you can legitimately go after and have a conversation with. Some breaking news here. Uh, Dan Salomon, our producer, keeping us posted. The NFLPA has announced that Browns offensive lineman J.C. Treader. He's been elected as the new president by the board of player reps. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a new error now. Treader winning the vote. Michael Thomas of the Giants was actually one of the three candidates running for president. Mm -hmm. He's been heavily involved in the Players Association. He's been an extremely strong voice. You ask anybody on this Giants roster, Paul, just a quick side note, they speak volumes about Michael Thomas being a voice in the locker room, not just in terms of X's and O's, but anything that they need off the field, he's an ear that they always look to turn to. Well, and he's also been involved in some things in Washington. Correct, yeah. But so, very, very well-versed guy. So, J.C. Treader of the Browns is going to be the president. Let's uh, head to the phone lines before we wrap up shop. Sean is in Maryland. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Sean? What's going on, fellas? Hi, uh, right, first of all, first of all, absolutely hilarious that you called out that guy that tried to pretend like you were somebody else. Hand class to that. I mean, coming on the show and trying to fake like you're somebody else, that makes no sense. Well, he's Moving more forward. interested in being well, a comedian I mean, than he is anything else, and God bless him. Maybe that's a good career for him. It's just, this is not a program where you need to hide behind the fake name. <laughs> Say who you are, and let's anyway, have a conversation. That's what do you got for yeah. us? I mean, Charlie from Portland, Maine, has been doing it for years, but anyway... Well, Charlie's uh, not that smart, so you're giving him too much credit <laughs> to try to pull that one off, Sean. <laughs> Let, let's not go that far. Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got you guys are talking about getting clowny. To be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of clowny, and I'll explain to you why. As you guys mentioned, he's he's going to be expensive, and he's injury prone. I mean, a lot of Giants fans on social media, or whatever, they're talking about Evan Ingram. Oh, he's injury prone. Da da da. I actually like Evan Ingram. But, I mean, if you're going to throw the bank at the David Clowney when he's going to be expensive and he's injury-prone. And also, he played opposite of J.J. Watt, who's an animal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how, how productive – I mean, we don't have a J.J. Watt in our team, let's just be honest. So, how much can we really expect from Clowney, especially with an expensive price tag? Well, that's a conversation you have to have. I I don't think his sack numbers were overwhelming this season with three. However, I would argue, I think Clowney did have a solid season with Seattle. I think he was a disruptive player. You look at the fact he had three passes defense, four forced fumbles. I mean, he certainly provided a nice lift for a Seattle defense that has lost a lot of playmakers. But to your point... J.J. Watt wasn't opposite him, so you have to take that into consideration. And J.J. Watt's not walking through the door here for the Giants. So can he be Batman, where even if maybe he's not giving you Batman numbers, he's doing enough to draw that attention to then allow somebody else to flourish opposite him? All fair questions, all things I think that need to be discussed, but it's worth having that conversation. I don't think you just dismiss him because of the injury concern. I think you further evaluate it. No, I, I agree with you. Um... I mean, I just, I, I just, if you're gonna spend a lot of money, get somebody that's like legit. Like you guys talk about uh, Jones from the Cowboys. I mean, he he would be definitely added to the team. Um, switching gears right quick. I mean, defense, as you guys already know, um, my vote is gonna be get Isaiah Simmons for the fourth round pick. I mean, I understand we need offensive tackle, we need O lineman, but last time we got it right when we drafted Will Hernandez in the second round. We don't have to make the first. Well, our first pick, which is number four, uh, offensive lineman, we can get one in round two or maybe three since you guys said this is a deep class for all linemen. So, to me, it just makes sense to get Isaiah Simmons because our defense is bleeding and it's bad and we need as much help to get on defensive end, even though a tackle is a very important position to fill. Um, yeah, for me, Simmons, thing, Simmons is yeah. the one guy on the defensive side of the ball who would make me pick that side at number four overtaking one of the offensive tackles. And you know I'm an offensive tackle nut. I love offensive right. tackles. I love offensive linemen, period. But I, I'm, I, I have been persuaded after my week at the Combine 
that I would actually go defense and take Isaiah Simmons at four before I took one of those tackles. And going into Indianapolis, I didn't think I'd feel that way. But I changed my mind after, I can't tell you how many dozens of people that I talked to when I was out there. I'm going Isaiah Simmons, and I'm with you. All right, one last, one last question uh, before I let you guys go. Yes. Um, is there a bulldozer-type running back, like a Brandon Jacobs, that we can get in the later rounds, like a situational-type running back that can just get those two yards? You know, in third and two, we just bulldoze them right in front and just can plow through the lines. Is there somebody available in the draft that, like I said, a situational-type running back? I have not done enough of my draft analysis. Yes, I'm actually starting on it this week. I would say this, though. To get the kind of guy you're talking about, you should be able to get him in the third day. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. If you just want a power back who's going to carry the ball five or six times a game, you're not going to have to spend a high draft choice to get one of those. Yeah, and I think free agency is also a way to go, too, with that, especially if it's a veteran who could be sort of a fullback slash running back. I wouldn't overlook that, too, and they'll be able to answer that before the draft even comes along, and they could very well go in that direction to address the backup situation. Yeah, I would like to have, like, a remake of Earth, Wind & Fire from back in the day because Gallman is underrated. He's a good running back. Saquon Barkley is an animal, as you guys already know. We just need that one bulldozer in a short yard situation that it doesn't matter who the defense stacks against us. We're going to get those two yards or one yard or whatever. I think that would be great for the team. So appreciate the call, guys. All right, Thank John, you. Appreciate the phone call. And also, I think, you know, it depends on what the new coaching staff feels about putting Barkley into those situations. Because I think Barkley is more than suitable to put in on a fourth and one and get that one yard, Paul. I don't think that's asking for too we much. We love to have these conversations, but the truth is until we have more of an idea of what this coaching staff wants to do, it's kind of hard to read their minds. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of unknown, but hopefully we'll have some answers next week when we actually inch closer to the start of the new league year. Reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks for the calls. We'll try to address some tweets off the air. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.